Well, boys and girls, cats of all ages, we have reached the end of the road for the Development Hell podcast. This is episode number 100. Uh, of course, uh, Ed and I have spoken more than 100 times because there's a few lost episodes and aborted episodes and, <laughs> and stuff that happened. Are there? How many? Uh, there's a couple we did where afterwards it was just like it was just too weird and we didn't bother recording them. But we've made it to the end. I, I'm trying not to cheat and look at the old archives, but I'm not even sure when's the last time we had an episode go uh it was in 2019 i'm pretty sure and i gotta tell you one thing i was kind of like is like no it was january 2020 and right, I, with I mr remember, reinheimer yeah with mr reimer and i remember thinking to myself maybe we should try to get out of this uh 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 flu thing super flu thing before we <laughs> uh before we record another one let's get back to normal and yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. So, all right. At least I can. Uh, it, it, we're in America, so it's like fuck it. Let's just go eat, go to the beaches. Who gives a shit if old people die? Whatever. So it's pretty much back to normal for me. Well, and not much has changed for me because I've worked from home forever. So the, you know, adapting to working from home hasn't been difficult. Cause I've been doing it forever, but it's just everything else that goes with it. Um, has caused me to lose my shit a few times. So, um, it's oh, yeah. not you, shouldn't, you shouldn't read the news. That's not a good idea. Uh, you know, and just, uh, I'm, I'm trying to be, I talked about it a little bit before on Facebook, I think. Um, right. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be a little bit more, um, stoic about this and not the stoic in terms of like the British stereotype of the stiff upper lip and being the dog sitting in the room that's on fire and saying, this is fine. It's more like, working very hard to understand um, what I can control and what I can't and work super hard to get good outcomes for the stuff that I can do. So on tonight's episode, I don't know how long it's going to be. Um, I'm not big on the retrospectives. Uh, you know, we got together, we did this for a very long time. I had no idea it would even last this long. Um, but I thought that tonight, uh, Ed and I would talk about and what was going on and what we were thinking when we started, highlight a few major things that came out of it. More of it's on Ed's side than mine, if we're being perfectly honest. And then kind of where we are now, what we're doing, what we're looking forward to, what's changed. But I think more importantly, what hasn't changed, because I think that's really a big theme is how little has changed <laughs> since we first did this. In uh, and it's hard to believe when I say the date in December of 2011. So, for those who haven't been listening since the beginning, Ed and I met. First of all, we first met at some conferences back like 2007, 2008, um, interacted a little bit. And then the big fateful meeting was when, when they had the uh, PHP Community Conference in Nashville. Ed came to speak. Did I? I was working. Yes, you did. Uh, I came. Yeah, I, uh, I came uh, to Nashville to attend and help. <coughs> excuse me, help me help run it with Ben Ramsey and AWS had a meltdown on that day. So I spent my day trying to help Ben uh, deal with uh, the uh, every thirty minutes on the on the half hour phone calls from oh, the yeah. bosses at the company we were working for, asking when things were going to be up yet. 
So uh, we had dinner uh, at um, Cal Evans' house during that thing, and Ed and I sat together on the couch and we started talking. And Ed mentioned podcasting stuff, and I'm like, "Yeah, man, like we should let's just let's let's do something. Let's talk. We start to know each other. Let's get to be better friends um, through a podcast." So uh, my hope was was literally just, "Well, let's um, podcasting seems kind of cool. Um, it seemed to kind of go." Uh, dovetail nicely into speaking, which I'd already been doing for a number of years by that point. So I thought, yeah, let's just just do a podcast and see what happens. No idea how many episodes, no idea uh, what we're going to talk about. I figured that uh, Ed and I could just both wing it. So that's kind of what I was thinking when we first started it. So what about you, Ed? Uh, I don't remember any of that. But seriously, I don't I don't even remember how we started this podcast, uh, <laughs> which is so I'm glad you filled it in because I I would have been like, I, I don't fucking know, man. I got nothing. Uh, OK, but you do remember us meeting right in Nashville. You remember having dinner at Cal's house or you don't remember that at all? I'm trying to think. Uh, I think I remember having dinner at Cal's house. And I think the one thing I remember from that was uh who's the dude from alabama why can't i think of his name damn it uh brian moon yeah brian moon i'm sorry he's a good friend i'm sorry brian i terrible fucking names i always forget people's names i think he uh i think he was there with some of his kids didn't he have like 85 kids uh i know he has a lot of kids i don't remember if they were there or not because yeah. again, this is like 12, 13 years ago. Yeah, this was a while ago. So I don't, I, I don't remember ago. how we started talking, to be honest. So I don't remember that. What do I remember? Um, like about like what I want to, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember it just being like, well, we could just talk about some shit and maybe it'd be cool. Right. That was about really it. Um, I think we had been, I'd been thinking about some of it because there were some, there were some short podcasts I'd been doing editing on for like, uh, like the Zend Framework podcast and stuff like that. They had people on there to talk for like ten minutes or something like that about stuff. And I remember that they they paid me to edit them and and to like clean them up because a it, it was like uh, some of the ones that we got were I think recorded with like a like a telegraph machine it was awful like they they would come through and they'd be like and um i would try to make it intelligible like that was the only thing i could do with it because it was so fucked up um and i generally was able to make it intelligible so that was good um i think i'm a better audio person now than i was then but uh i kind of knew what the fuck i was doing a little bit and more than anybody there so uh i was able to you know kind of get that sorted out and helped with that and it must have been from that and i'd been you know i listened to podcasts and i was like well we are, you know you could do something like that and talk about those things and i don't i don't know if podcasts have become such a big thing well they certainly had become such a big thing we're now fucking like spotify's like has exclusive podcasts from rich people and stuff like that. Um, and I do remember, now. yeah. And I do remember you uh, tweeting about how you had a, you had this domain name floating around and you wanted to use it for something. Oh, yeah. You mentioned the podcast stuff. And then that's when I jumped on board and said, yeah, Ed, let's, uh, 
let's do this. Cause we had been, we had talked to each other at events and stuff. So. Right. Right. And the, the name development hell, I think uh, I, I had stolen it from a, I, I not consciously totally, but you know, there's an idea of like, like uh, movies being stuck in what they call development hell. And what that yep. is, is like, it, it's not being produced, but it's, um, it's basically in pre-production forever. Like they, and they like, and pre-production might not even be the right word. It's like, basically they're deciding if they're going to make a movie or not. And it's basically stuck in that forever instead of actually moving forward with the making of the movie. Pre-production would be part of the actual making of the movie, just like doing stuff before you start filming and uh there's a good book actually i think it's called tales from development hell that is pretty interesting about some movies that were made and some that weren't made and it's it's good stuff but i think that's where i stole it from and i think i must have registered at some point dev development hell or dev hell i i remember looking around and like i couldn't get developmenthell.com or i did dev dot i couldn't get dot com and like I, I think I registered FM dot FM for a little while, but I had never actually used it. And also, it's, that's like fifty bucks a year. It's too much, so uh, we we didn't do that. So I think I used Info. I might have had TV for a little bit too, and just I don't know. It was like, hey, it'd be cool to do, and you know, you just never do anything with it. So, so yeah, so we agreed to do this, and then uh, we recorded the very first episode and kind of the theme of the episode was um all the stuff we hated about php so we kind of yep. talked about things that we disliked and so uh so we ended up with kind of a theme and a rhythm of like we talked about we, we didn't have very many rules for what we did here we just were like determined that we were basically like let's talk about what we feel like talking about but we wanted to make it tech centric and then over time it morphed into like Two longtime programmers upset at the state of the world of technology, uh, riffing on stuff. So it became sort of like a a tech uh, a tech comedy podcast, which um, I didn't listen to. A, I used to I used to listen to way more uh, tech centric podcasts, and then I started listening to too many of them, and then I couldn't get through them in a decent um, period of time, mainly because like my commute stopped where I started working from home all the time. Oh yeah. So I didn't, so I didn't have a long commute to listen to these things. And then as other hobbies, uh, as I started doing other hobbies, then I stopped listening to tech related podcasts and started listening to podcasts related to those hobbies. But, um, the one, if we talk about big changes that came out of the podcast, the number one thing, and the one that I will always remember, and the one that I will be the most proud of is when Ed said to me, hey, I think I want to talk about my mental health issues on an episode. And my exact words were, all right, dude, we're like sort of like a tech comedy podcast. Are you sure this is like what you want to talk about? Because once you talk about this, it's never going to be the same because people will judge you very differently. And Ed was like, nope, thumbs up. We're going to talk about this. So I don't know how many episodes, again, I'm trying not to look at the, uh, archives as we do this. I think that so was episode we had, 11. I, I think I have that pretty well memorized. Uh, all right, cool. So so then we had the episode where Ed opened up about his uh, various mental health issues. So sad. And that, le- and that, <laughs> that led to uh, the creation of open sourcing mental illness and Ed, um, Ed talking about it at conferences and then Ed talking about it 
too much at conferences, and then Ed trying to make OSMI his full-time gig while trying to do consulting, and that just made Ed's head explode. Yeah. Um, While I had, while unfortunately I had to sort of sit there uh, and watch it happen and not be able to um, directly support Ed in a way that I wanted to. We live too far apart. It's not like if we were in the same city, I could like hop in my car and drive over and like right. hang out with Ed and talk about how he's feeling. All I could do is like kind of watch Ed's behavior and be supportive and not judgmental, but just watch Ed like swan dive off the metaphorical cliff into the uh, wily e. coyote bucket of water um, at the bottom of it. Yeah. So, um, so Ed came complete circle from like not talking about it to being very open about it, to raising awareness, to doing it too much, to having the very same mental health issues that Ed wanted to talk about in hopes of, I imagine coping better yeah. actually end up making it worse at the yeah, end. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, part of what you're saying is very true and part of it's horseshit. Um, uh, that was kind of a joke, but, um, I think it's interesting here from the outside. I, I view what I did with Osme as it's, I actually, I think it's still, we built something really cool and it didn't end with me stopping speaking. There's still lots of people involved. Lots of people speak. It is bigger than ever. Uh, but what I did was that I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was doing before. Um, I put huge amounts of energy into running and, and promoting what that organization was doing. And it really wasn't because of that. It was because of other stuff that started happening in early-ish 2017. Yes. And I, and, and again, not to, to interrupt for those listening, I do know what happened there too. I'm just not going to talk about it because that's Ed's right. private biz. So I was, right. again, I kind of had VIP access to that uh, to that situation. I got to see it all get rolled out and watch Ed have to deal with it. And it's right. it's for those one. If if you look at again, I don't know how many people have been listening to the beginning. I'm sure a lot, but we had really good momentum, and then we got to 2017. And then when a bunch of stuff in Ed's personal life, when all that started happening, that was effectively the end of the podcast. Now, we hung on and did maybe another 10 episodes over the over the past three years. But that was but that was really it. Once once Ed had to back off from Osme and Ed had to focus his energies elsewhere, um, podcast was essentially done. Uh, Then we talked about how, okay. You know, we can't do it all the time we were doing it. Can we do it on a smaller schedule? We tried. Couldn't make that work. I didn't want to pressure Ed. Uh, you know, I had the time to, to record, but Ed didn't because Ed needed to focus his energies elsewhere. This isn't a job. This is a hobby. And once the hobby becomes a job, it's no longer a hobby. So, like, if Ed didn't want to do it, I certainly wasn't going to fire off uh, angry text messages and emails to Ed demanding he either relinquish his spot or like <laughs> record stuff because right. Ed is Ed became my friend number one and the podcast was a cool thing that I got to do with a good friend and if we couldn't do the podcast anymore that was not going to one hundred percent 
100%. It was not going to change the friendship. This friendship is going to endure. We've been through a ton of shit. You know, Ed has seen stuff in my personal life. I've seen stuff in his personal life. We have a very strong bond. I don't think anything's going to wreck it. But yeah, once we got to 2017, that was it. That was basically it. And we were done. And we just decided, okay, let's try to get to 100. We did it in bits and pieces. And we're at 100. So I had thought about continuing on Dev Hell with Ed's occasional participation and do it myself as a solo uh, solo podcaster, bring in guests and talk to people. But like when I thought about it, it's like, I already have enough hobbies that take up enough of my evenings. Sure. So I was like, you know, some things end, some, sometimes we get to end them on our own terms. Sometimes they get ended on other people's terms. Uh, I think DevHell has reached its natural conclusion. It's very clear that what Ed and I want to do um, has changed, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's not a good thing, and it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, and there's no judgment. I see Ed doing other stuff, and Ed is very happy doing those other things. And I have found happiness in doing other things as well. So it's not like there's this there's this void uh, of where dev hell used to be and uh we'll never get that back so no no, it doesn't it's it's not that's not the case at all it's just what we did was that both you and i looked at this and said okay this can't work the way that it is and we and we have no interest in making it work without the two of us participating because i've had people say to me why don't you just keep going with the podcast i'm like without ed it's not it's not the same ed and i played off each other we clearly had um i don't know charisma is not the right word but um rapport with each other we could bounce off each other and we're both very natural at speaking and and the podcast it felt like it didn't feel like it was a podcast it just felt like two people picking a topic uh, that they're just sitting around and we riff on it and we record it and ed cleans it up to get rid of all the ridiculous noise in the background um at my house all the time between air conditioner and echoing and all the other shit that goes on but we made it to 100 well like i said we recorded more but we made it to 100 um, and, um, that's it. I know lots of people are going to be disappointed, uh, that they want us to continue, but it's just, it's, it's not going to be, Ed is doing other things. I am doing other things. Um, I was mad about this for a long time, Uh-oh. but, uh, but like, but I wanted to do this and I wanted Ed to participate, but I didn't want to be a dick and say, Ed, you need to like, like, you know, like get your shit together. Cause I would, I would text Ed all the time about stuff all caps all the time finkler get your shit together when i would see ed talk about stuff either on on twitter or on facebook um joking to ed like um stop wallowing and and get your shit together when of course that's the the irony is that you know that's not how it actually works you can't just tell a person who's doesn't have their shit together that if you just did this one thing it's like the it's like the have you tried meditating have you tried yoga um uh being outdoors is the best cure for depression it's like yeah you know what that's great that maybe these things work for you but they're not working for me and um uh, if people could uh the number one skill i want our listeners to learn is not a not a technical one it's like a personal one develop some empathy understand that not everyone is like you and when you when you learn to make that switch where you understand that everyone is not like you it's very rough for the first like from my own experiences first 12 to 18 months of finally understanding the world is not clones of you and everyone does not think like you once you learn that okay these people are doing things differently because they're not me and then once then you can learn to move past a lot of the sort of 
uh, knee-jerk judgments towards things and stuff like that. Um, before I let Ed talk some more, someone said something to me that has a couple years ago that stuck with me. It's like your first reaction is usually what society has taught you, and then your second reaction is usually how you really feel about a topic. Mm-hmm. So in in a in a day and age where it's very easy to like snap off uh, your opinion on something via a variety of uh, public channels, social media being the big one, um, it's very easy to just to snap off uh, like a, a hot take or or uh, groupthink and and tribal comments. It's much harder to like resist that first urge and really think about what it is you want to say about something. Um, you know, in, in in the midst of of uh, our little COVID-19 era, I've had to put uh, parental controls on my phone and limit my access to Facebook and Twitter to an hour a day total um, because it was just driving me nuts and it was making me super frustrated and I was moving back towards not understanding why everyone is like me and I'm trying to go back to understanding that everyone is not like me. So it's trying to, it's helping me cope better when I see people making decisions that I feel are incorrect, all I can do is like, well, you're making those decisions. My mouth is not a time machine. I can't roll things back. Instead, I am going to concentrate on making what, what I feel are the best decisions for myself and stop wasting energy worrying about what other people um, are doing. Yeah, right. Uh, so that was cool. Um See, nothing has changed. See, the difference this time is that uh, I have video on, so Ed can see me, and I can see Ed, and I can just see, like, Ed rolling his eyes and going, yeah, that's cool, and he's and he's laughing at me, and he's usually considered enough to uh, mute his mic, but... No, I'm not. I'm on not episode 100, no, who the who hell cares? cares? Yeah, who cares? Uh, yeah, man, I was... Uh, I mean, the, the, the fact of it is that... Um, I basically was able to survive and I had to stop everything. And so I only did the things that I had to do to survive. And so I would, I got a new job and what I did was I got up and I would go to work and then I would come home and I would lay down on the couch and watch TV for a couple hours And then I would go to bed and I would go to bed at like 7 p.m. And I I was like my sleep schedule was completely fucked up. And I I, so it's it's like when you do that, basically my whole life reset. Right. And you're just and then you're just rebuilding from that. And it took me like a year before I kind of felt like myself, but I'm never going to be that person again who like did this and did OSMI and did these other things and played video games and things like that. And so that's just not what I want to do. And I just, I still do a lot less stuff. Like if I wanted to, I could still go and speak, but like the pat, like the last four or five times that I spoke, I started getting anxious and nervous just being away from my house. And so like I remember I, there was there was at least there were at least one time I came home I actually called the the airline and said I've got kind of an emergency I need to go home and I had enough miles where I was like some medallion member or something so they were like okay sure we'll just put you on a different flight that's a day early right and so they just moved me and they didn't charge me. 
which was nice, but it was probably because I had spent a bunch of money with him. And that it had gone from what going to conferences and traveling was something I really enjoyed. And I'd been doing it for a few years and it completely flipped. And it, I, I haven't gone since I haven't been on a plane since uh, like October, September, October, 2017. I haven't um, traveled more than two and a half hours from my house. I, uh, and I don't want to, I'm just not interested in that. So all I like, I had like a certain lifestyle that sometimes burned me out. Sometimes didn't where I was like, you know, I, I was maybe traveling on average once a month. And I hate, I, I, that sounds so terrible to me now. Uh, I like my life much better now. Um, but it wasn't like I didn't like my life then, but there were a lot of problems. And when some really heavy shit went down in my life and in it with my fam, uh, it got super bad and it was the hardest like kind of situation I had been in, in, in my life. And, uh, I think, uh, at least as an adult, and that was really, really challenging. And I, I like, it's not like I, I would like doing the podcast. I liked doing the podcast, but I couldn't, I just couldn't for a year. Basically I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I also, you know, I couldn't, I could do basically nothing but, work and 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 come home and that was it i just couldn't do anything else i mean gradually i was getting better but it took a long time um and i'm i'm just not and so i like doing the podcast but my motivation for like like being involved in sort of like programming community and stuff and things like that. Anybody who's followed me on Twitter for a while, I would guess you would see a dramatic change in pattern. Like if you mapped like what I did uh, probably from 2015, 2016 into 2017, and then you'd see 2017, you see a significant drop off and then you would just see it gone. It's just not there anymore. Because frankly, it's it's like it's okay, but I don't really give a shit that much. And I gave a lot of shits before, and I gave too many shits, and I had to I had to let go of everything. I really did, and a lot of my life changed. Um, and so I don't. It's not that I. I, and I still like talking about these issues to some extent, but it's just not. I'm not passionate about it anymore. I'm just not. I have a, a couple, and I'm, I, and there's just a lot of less stuff going on in my life. Like there used to be, used to be. I always kind of had all these different things going on and working on stuff and and shit. And now, I, I work, um, and that is all the programming pretty much I do. Um, I don't do any open source stuff. Don't have any libraries out I'm working on or anything like that. Uh, I do a tiny little bit of OSMI stuff, but mostly it's just kind of an advisory role. I'm on the board, but I don't really do much day-to-day stuff. Um, uh, so thankfully, there's a lot 
more people involved uh, than just me. Um, so it's Osme is still very healthy, very alive, does lots of stuff. We do, we still send lots of uh, folks to speak and things like that. Of course, the, the COVID is, has has really changed a lot of that, so nothing's going on right now. But uh, no, we're still around, do, still doing what we believe. It's still a valid and, and right thing to do. But it used to be that was like fifty to seventy percent of my time. Even when I had a full time job, it was fifteen to seventy percent of my thought processes were going into that. And now it's like I don't know, like maybe two percent. It's like yeah, I'm I'm happy to help out where I can. But I just I can't be that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. Can't be that guy. And so, you know, the podcast kind of part of it. Podcast is honestly fun. But then there's some shit I don't, you know, it was like, I got to get up and I got to do this thing and I got to, you know, set up. And it's like, I'm always, dude, the whole... I was going to bed at like 7 p.m. We usually didn't record till 9 or after, right? And and I, I was just most of the time fucking tired. I was fucking tired. I and and so it you know I like doing this and I like talking to talking to Chris and I would I would like to do that more you know but but I just let's let other people I'm going to let them do that and like push the fucking uh wheelbarrow up the hill or whatever I just I can't I've got my other things that I'm doing and that's I work I do programming there and I take myself seriously and I even been talking some shit on Twitter uh like last week about some shit. So I still get uppity every once in a while about that. But otherwise I really don't I just don't. You know, I used to give a lot of fucks about a lot of stuff happening there and I just I, and it's 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 I just don't I can't. I just don't I don't care the same way. And it's not like there's anything wrong with that. It just means that I've kind of moved on to other shit. But I used to kind of have a lot of stuff I was fucking hyped up about. And I just, I'm like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. You know, can't get all hyped up about a bunch of shit that, you know, sometimes we had people on or things we talk about that were real important to me. And now they've become really kind of, I just, there's got to be somebody else. It's not that I don't think it's important or valid or good. I just, I'm not going to be that guy anymore. Uh, So, um, so I, so I work. I come home, I do music. That's what I do. That's my stuff. Oh, and I go out and, and spend time with friends. That's it. God, are you done? Jesus. I said the same thing like 300 times. So that hasn't changed. I'm back, baby. <laughs> I will say I will say that uh, Ed and I do chat a lot, but in text form uh, oh, yeah. instead of audio form. So. Um, we will send uh, each other interesting things. So I find stuff that I know Ed will find interesting. Uh, and then he will tell me how to find really good adult content on Reddit. So it's kind of like a trade of oh, yeah, like, like, like the thing I showed yesterday. I, I found a link that was like a two part um, tiny documentary about um, Escape from New York that I sent to Ed. So oh, yeah, I've got I to find, watch it. Yeah. I saved it. So I got to watch it. Yeah, I find stuff like it all the time. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, like it, it, it's interesting when we first started talking, a lot of the stuff that we focused on in the podcast was just things we did not like about the state of development uh, of, of programming. And so uh, whereas in Ed's case where Ed has stopped giving a shit about so much of that stuff, um, I too have decided to let a lot of things go, uh, mainly because uh, not in a position to influence a lot of those things. 
I'm still there talking about the testing stuff, still trying to get across to people how important it is. Um, uh, ironically, today, my latest book is actually available in print form now from uh, Oscar over at uh, PHP Architect. So that is nice to see my pamphlet in paper form instead of just in electronic form. Um, but yeah, just what happens is you get older, you get new interests, you have to start deciding uh, what it is you want to spend your time on. This is not like a mortality thing. Oh, time is running out. I have to be careful what I do. It's like, no, no, no. Just over time, it's like I, the things I like change, the things I dislike change, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm not, this is not a lie. It's not just for the podcast. I'm happy Ed has found other things that interest him that he wants to pour his energy into instead of, uh, that he no longer has to spend three hours a night, um, on his couch. I will say every time I've gone to visit Ed, <laughs> okay, except the last time that I went and saw him, which was last year, I went and saw him and that was did my tooth break. Oh, that's right. Your tooth did break. That's right. It was a but, crown, so, actually. It was my crown so, shattered so, in my mouth. When I, so every time I've gone to visit Ed, it has just been either a disaster for me with one yep. or more, with both my vehicles malfunctioning, yep. or or a disaster happening in Ed's um, private life. Yep. So, um, so maybe just maybe once <laughs> once we can once I can travel again. Uh, um, I will venture down and drive the eight plus hours to go see Ed. And I swear to God, if anything bad happens, I'm never going to see Ed in person again I because, because either one of us is haunted. I'm not sure which one of us is haunted. Uh, maybe we have an Imperial ghost versus a metric ghost. And they're just like yep. jamming into each other all the time. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it has just not been, I, I would like it if Ed would come up and visit me uh, in the great white North, but it sounds like that is just simply at this point in time, seems unlikely. Maybe at some point Ed's very wonderful partner will drug him and throw him in the back of the car and smuggle him across the border to go right. see me. And Ed wakes up at my house. It would make for a cool episode, but it yeah. sure seems, it sure seems like, uh, that is not going to happen anytime soon. It's just like Ed lives just far enough away mm-hmm. that it is, that it is logistical problems to coordinate everything because it's essentially a day driving there and a day um, driving back. So it would be nicer if it was closer, but um, if wishes were fishes, the sea would be full as they like to say. Um, So uh, let's see how much time we've been doing. Uh, We've been talking for like 34 minutes. All right. We got a little bit more time. So, so I mean like, and if the initial theme is like, we were, we were like, like mad's not the right word, but like, to use an old word that maybe the youngest don't use, not chuffed about the state of, or maybe that's a Canadianism, I don't know, about the state of development. It seems like eight and a half years later, things are still shitty and not enough people seem to either care that they're shitty or recognize that they're shitty. And it's, and for people doing the sort of programming work that Ed and I do, the server side has gotten pretty stable. It's not so bad. The tools are mature. Lots of examples. But man, if you like using JavaScript, I don't know what the, I don't know if I can look JavaScript people straight in the face and say like, what what y'all doing is cool because it sure seems like they've decided that JavaScript needs to be as complicated as possible. So it's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon 
layer. And it's like, you're dragging the server side people in with your nonsense too now, because the server side people are trying to incorporate tools and stuff that you're using. And now it's all this extra stuff. Like to build a website from scratch these days, it used to be, Ed can vouch for this, used to be, you needed to be really good with the server side language. And you just had to know just enough JavaScript and CSS so your app could be all Ajaxy and styled nicely. And now it's like you need uh, to worry about uh, air quote assets and compiling things. And like, and I look at all this stuff and go, I wasn't asleep for five years. Why does it feel like I was asleep for five years while the JavaScript community has decided we need 27 different things in order just to get a website up and going? And then I just, I just look at it and go, Eight and a half years, there's still a lot of unnecessary things happening. Uh, again, we talk about the empathy thing. I got lots of empathy for people who have to work with these things. It's just like, if I was a JavaScript developer, it would drive me insane because things change too fast. I know Ed was talking about this. Uh, you know, Ed, I think if I were to do JavaScripty things these days, I for sure would want to be going the transpiling route where I would write my code in something that is a little bit more friendly and then trust some super smart people to compile my TypeScript, my CoffeeScript, my whatever flavor that of JavaScript gets it compiled down into super tight JavaScript that just works. Because I look at this go, there's just so much of JavaScript. It's like, uh, I don't want to touch any yeah. of that stuff. I want... Like, what's wrong with jQuery? I know jQuery gets a bad rep, and, and just even saying jQuery will probably get me on a bunch of watch lists with tech people. But, like, this used to be pretty simple to add JavaScript in to get that sort of interactivity, because that's kind of what JavaScript was doing. It was, like, making it so that your website was interactive. And now it's just, like, you guys are way over there off at the JavaScript Fire Festival doing something. I don't know what you guys are doing over there. Mm. I hear lots of furious noise, and I see sparks getting thrown up. But like I'm over here in just what I need to make it work land. And it sure seems like I can no longer take anything written in JavaScript in the last couple of years, <clears throat> excuse me, and extend it and modify it, uh, which, which makes me sad because now it means that if I'm going to do anything, any sort of interactivity to it, I'm going to have to call in favors and get some people to help me. I can no longer, it seems like, the amount of stuff that one developer needs to know to build what people think is a modern website now exceeds the capability of one person um, to do. There's just so much stuff that you need to know. And I don't, I, uh, I, I tip my cap at people who have mastered both the server side and the front end of things enough where they can uh, create an app uh, from start to finish with that looks pretty and has lots of interactivity and can live up on the web. Cause I just, it would just, but by the time I figure out how to use the tools, the JavaScript community has moved on to something else. Well, so I have, and still do to some extent, I'm, I do a lot more backend work at work than I do at home, but I've also done stuff at home too. Uh, or not, I mean, it, I, I've done a lot more backend work than front end work. Although I do still do some, some, uh, I've done a few things here and there at home for other projects for like music stuff or things like that. And the fact I, I feel like this is something I can say with some confidence 
that the notion that you have to do these things, that you have to learn these complex tool chains and technologies in order to build the front end of a website or slash web application is bullshit. And everybody, let's say statistically, everybody who is blogging or writing on Medium or whatever has bought into this idea. But the fact is, web browsers still do, can do exactly the same shit they did in 2010 and they did in 2000. They can just load up some simple JavaScript that you can just deliver some HTML and some JavaScript and some maybe some images via a web server, and it works. The people who are telling you that that shit doesn't work or that's not acceptable are lying. They act like you can't do it. But the fact is, you absolutely can. And I would counter that the advantages that we have gained from increasingly complex technologies and applying technologies upon technologies to try to solve issues that we see uh, because we've made things so complex is in fact uh, has not has has not provided either of these things which are the only things that really should be driving these kinds of choices one does it make for does it benefit the user in any way that's the first question second question which is has to feed the first question is, does it make developers' lives easier? I don't think either of those things have been accomplished. Therefore, I question the entire process that you've gone through. There's a, if you have, if all, if you haven't accomplished one of those two things, if not both, again, the first one is, does it benefit the user in some way? And I'm not talking about does it, uh, it, it, you know, does it benefit the user to do X, Y, or Z, whatever. Now, some of you might say to yourself, oh, but it allows the user to do or There are tiny little things that you might be able to find where you think it benefits the user. I will tell you, your users don't really give a shit. They don't care about that stuff. They don't care. That's why I am I am just sick and fucking tired of it. I'm sick and tired of people acting as if the increasing complexity of tool chains has actually benefited us in meaningful ways. It hasn't. It has not. There are a handful of things that I can see that are beneficial. One, templating. A good thing for the front end, some kind of templating. Two, reactivity. I do think reactivity makes a lot of sense. I think the concept of reactivity works, and I think that it's a good idea. Those are the only two things I can think of. <laughs> I was just watching Ed. I could see the gears turning. I was trying to think of the third thing, and he realized. No, there, there, I don't think nope, there's a third there's thing. Two. I don't yeah. think there's an, a third thing. Now, yeah. I, I've done some stuff with like SCSS SAS stuff and things like that, and I think it makes CSS a little bit better. But the CSS is bullshit anyway. It was a terribly designed 
uh, uh, language of some kind to style stuff that was designed by a big fucking committee um, and is confusing to anyone except the f- the people who work with it all the time. And it's like fucking Stockholm syndrome. You'll they'll tell you themselves, "Oh, CSS is great." It, no, it fucking sucks. I've used it for twenty years. It's bullshit. Okay, all right. And the the all of this tying all this together and adding tool chain upon tool chain and trying to solve problems that you introduced by adding more technologies on like now i'm seeing people who are like well you know what stuff is it kind of feels like it's slowing down number one the first problem you've got is that everybody's prematurely optimizing uh who gives a fuck how fast it is as long as it's fast enough for what you're doing if it's fast enough for what you're doing as is stop quit fucking around with it secondly um now we're worried about shit not being fast enough because it's rendering on the uh, it's all rendering a bunch of stuff on the client side, uh, and and so irony of ironies, uh, folks are now interested in server side rendering again. You dumb shits, <laughs> we were doing that twenty five fucking years ago, and it worked. Yep. Why the fuck do we need to do it again now after you put all this shit in the front end? All you did was move fucking chairs around the goddamn tennis court, whatever that fucking metaphor is. It's <laughs> bullshit. It is bullshit. That's the, that's the title of the episode, by the way, I think. Moving chairs around the tennis court. You dumb fucks, you understand that you're generating static websites when we used to just fucking make static websites before. All you did was make it harder to do it. You don't so, need the, yeah. all these fucking tools to do it. And and the fact and and the thing that I think is most frustrating about it is because there are there within the JavaScript slash web slash whatever community, there is no central figure that is driving the language and driving the community around it. And I think this is the number one problem and why it's so shitty. Because all of these fucking things in a normal situation would have been implemented in the interpreter. The interpreter, would, let's say for most languages, it's things like Python or PHP or uh, Perl or whatever the fuck they call it now, and um, or C Sharp or any of this shit, they would add features into the language, which means adding it into this, this stuff. And it's, and so, or it would be added as part of the standard library. Well, guess what? Because these dumb motherfuckers who are on these committees who decide what goes into browsers and what goes into JavaScript and what goes into CSS can't get their heads out of their asses and make a goddamn halfway decent experience for developers. Well, what they do is they put all of the onus for building this shit out on third parties. Can you imagine if Python just didn't have a standard library? It's a cool language, I guess. Well, what the fuck am I going to do with it? And if PHP didn't have, it was just the PHP language. That was it. That's not particularly interesting. JavaScript is in a much worse situation. JavaScript does not ship with a standard library. So it's, stand, it's quote unquote standard library is dictated by the environment it, it, it executes within. 
and the environment that it executes within has not added interesting features that are, say, are both speedy and not introduced by third parties who are often at odds or at contrary you know, places. Uh, in how long? I mean, when was the last time they added a new feature into a browser, like a new API or like a new control? The last thing I remember was HTML5 shit. When they added some new stuff into like the forms and you had things like a, a date, a, like a, you know, a date uh, a component and shit like that. Why the fuck did we stop doing that? Because do you really think it's better that we have 40 fucking people making different component libraries instead of the browser just having it fucking built in and then you could maybe style it with CSS if you want to change how it looks? Why the fuck? Are, why are we having to do this? Every other major community, every other, uh, say, again, Python, PHP, C Sharp, these things that I mess around with all the time. I cannot imagine them shipping something that is like the JavaScript situation and anyone giving a flying fuck because it's garbage. The developer experience is shit. And it's shit because it's not focused on how do I make these things easy to do? It's focused on what if I could do this and solve a performance problem or solve an X, Y, or Z problem that is a tiny, tiny sliver of what most people deal with. The reason why jQuery was so successful is because it made developers' lives easier, and it still does. Now, the idea of reactivity does make developers' lives easier, and basic templating stuff does make people's lives easier. Webpack and all the shit that goes into it, it is an interesting technology, but the process of getting into it is so complex that it, why is it that when I asked all the time about learning about Webpack shit, that folks were all like, I don't know, I just get it set up and, and then I just, it, it just works. And these are people who are like writing books and shit about it. What kind of fucking disaster is that? It's trash. It is a bad experience, and motherfuckers keep telling themselves it's not when it is fucking bad. It does but not a, need to be this way. It's a we, shame we're not doing this podcast anymore. It really <laughs> is. It really is. So to build on what Ed has been saying, because this is the thing that Ed and I have talked about numerous times, I think, I think the biggest issue is that too many developers think the users care what the apps they're using were built in when they don't which is why it always it used to really irritate me when i would see people talk that way but now i've just like filtered it out as as saying okay well this person i guess just hasn't been hasn't been working in the industry long enough to understand that what we're trying to do is we're trying to build things that people want to use and the people that we want we want as many people as possible to use them and we want to have it so that they don't need to know or care what it was built with. Like, for example, if on my iPhone, okay, I use Facebook because it's how I stay in touch with, uh, with family members and how I coordinate all the stuff that I do with magic. I don't actually need to know or need to care what all the parts of Facebook were built with. Now, I happen to know a little bit about, about what's in the background. I kind of know, well, they use their own 
they, you know, they created their own version of PHP because it made sense to them. And they're using some cool technologies for messaging and a bunch of other stuff. But those things, they don't matter, which is why I always see like, I understand people want to feel like they belong to something, to a tribe, to a group. So like, for example, um, people would say like, uh, a thing I see all the time, oh, I built this app. And they don't focus on the problem that they're trying to solve. I built it with because I don't want to dump on a certain framework that people know about in the PHP world. But let's 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 pick on Node instead. Say it was built with Node. Who cares that it was built with Node? Do, when I go to use this thing, am I going to care like what it's built with? The the only time someone needs to care about what you've done, what it's been built with, when it's a tool designed to be used with that thing. If I, if I for example, one of the things I'm doing now is I am working on a tool to help people. Uh, get better at testing by helping them to identify dependencies and things that need to be tested. I'm writing basically a scanner that's going to scan code and say, hey, here are dependencies you need to worry about. Here's conditional statements. Make sure you write tests for this loop, all that stuff. Now that tool, do people really need to know what it's built with? And the answer is no. They just need to know that I give them something. Like I could even end up building parts of it not even in PHP. Maybe I'll build it in something else because it happens to do, maybe I find someone that parses abstract syntax trees better in another language than in PHP. But if I build this thing, do they, does it matter that it's in PHP? No, because the people using it are looking, they're looking to get something out of it. They're looking for a tool that solves their problem, which is why I always say, oh, I built this thing and I built it with framework X. Buddy, no one cares. Like, no, like the people are going to use this they don't care. And if you are saying, I only, but then you're, are you trying to say, well, I only want people who like the tools I use to use this thing that I've built. That seems like a really uh, limiting, it's like, I just look in and go like, people don't care. Like if you really want to make a shit ton of money selling an app and getting the general public to use it, they won't care at all what it's built with. They're just like, does this solve a problem that I have? You know, that's all it is. Does this thing solve a problem? It's like, does this fulfill a need that I have? Does this do the thing that I want? What it's built with? Nobody, the people who are using it don't care. I understand there's tons of ego and tribalism and pride and a bunch of things mixed into it. But much like uh, um, in Pulp Fiction, you need to be Marcellus Wallace telling Bruce Willis, that's pride fucking with you. You gotta just fight through that shit and don't care. That's right. Pride, pride doesn't get you anywhere. And, and, you know. And I gotta tell you, there was some dude who was on Twitter who was like, after I said this, I said, if you want to be a code artisan, and I typed it in all caps, do that on your own time. If you're getting paid for it, shut up and do your fucking job. And the reason I said that is because it's fine and Danny to geek out and all around this shit, and to be like, and to be excited about this stuff. That's cool. You kind of need to be that way to do this kind of work because if you're not really into it in that way, you don't like sort of the problem solving and you're not at least kind of interested in the technologies and stuff, you're going to pretty much hate it. This is a terrible job if you don't like, if you're not into that stuff. But the other thing you need to remember is one, being a fucking uh, peacock and demanding that motherfuckers let you fly is not saving anybody money or making the apps better that's horse shit it doesn't do that it's okay to geek out on your own fucking time on this shit 
But then some dude was like, well, that's why you have all this trash fucking, all these terrible Java programmers. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't give a shit. What I'm saying is you're not getting paid to geek out on fucking tech. And to find out the fastest, cool, the new cool shit and to be fashion-driven development. That is not your fucking job. Your job is not to be the fashion reporter for fucking JavaScript. That's not your fucking job. It is to build shit that people will use and will help them get their shit done. You know, I could be like, hey, you guys know the fucking uh, L.A. Lakers, right? Everyone's like, yeah, I know the L.A. Lakers. That's fu- you know, I like basketball. That's fucking cool. Hey, uh, you know what kind of light bulbs they use for the scoreboard? Yeah, nobody gives a fuck. Except, nope. people, except people selling light bulbs. <laughs> yeah. And that's nobody the key thing. This shit. I mean, uh, I, I, I am a person. Out, does uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Does it burn out or not? That's what fucking matters. That's it. Can I see right. it? And does it break? Right now, uh, this is always the thing I've talked about. People always, when people are making a point, they always have an agenda. My agenda for many, many years has been, I want people to get better at testing um, PHP code, right? Because the state used, because the state of testing used to be terrible. It is a lot better now. And I made lots of money doing it. So I do have like an agenda where, where I used to say like, well, are you testing your stuff? Right? Like, what are you testing with? Um, but you know, your question about the LA Lakers thing, the light bulbs, like, well, the only person who would care about what light bulbs are in the LA Lakers scoreboard, there would only be two types of people that would care. Those who are trying to recreate the LA Lakers uh, scoreboard, and they want to have, they want to know everything that goes into right, it. Sure. Or the other thing, or the other thing is a person trying to sell light bulbs. Yeah. So I think in many cases people who are driving the tech and trying to get you to care about what things are built with mm-hmm. are trying to convince you to adopt their tools. And now in some cases it's because they're going to make, they're going to make money from it or because they want to, they, they look at it and they decide that this is the thing that's going to be their niche. This is the thing that's going to make them stand up from the ground. They may admit this publicly. They may admit it privately. They may not actually realize they're doing it, but they're trying to convince you to do something. Now, for me, it used to be like, I look at this stuff and go, yes, you should be testing your stuff. It used to be there, you know, that I still see people talk about this. I don't see it where I work and I don't see it in the circles where I travel, but, but people still seem to be getting butthurt about, uh, being told they're supposed to test things. Like, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to say who did the podcast about it, but there was like people being dogmatic about testing. It's like, dude, it's 2020. You've lost the battle about whether or not you should be testing stuff. Now you're arguing about what type of tests you should do and when you should be writing them. And from the perspective of a person that have spent many, many years and lots of energy convincing people to write tests, this is a victory for people that care about testing stuff. People are talking about testing, whether they do it or not is a separate issue, but it's now, it's now everybody's doing it and you're literally arguing about whether you, now you're literally arguing about, should I write the test before I do what I'm doing or should I write the test afterwards? Because I think in this day and age, it's very hard to look at it from terms of a developer workflow and trying to build things that people want to use to say that um, we shouldn't have tests. So it's just kind of interesting where it, Yes, I've made uh, a non-trivial amount of money through my books and stuff, 
convincing people to test. I feel happy that adoption in the last, you know, for 10 years, I've been going on and on about this. Adoption is way up and is a trend that is going in the positive direction. But we're like, it's, it, now you're just arguing about whether should I do it before or should I do it after. There is no longer a question about should I write tests. I'm just wondering when, uh, I'm just wondering when the argument for some other um, approaches is going to change. JavaScript still seems to be stuck in that phase where, um, everybody's still uh, doing it DIY styles. And uh, and JavaScript being attached to the browser is what really is hindering things because companies are using the browser as a weapon to drive business practices. I've talked about this before, right? Um, uh, Apple uses Safari to keep people, uh, to keep control of iOS. Google uses Chrome to get lock-in with their... Uh, other suite of tools um, and Firefox is being kept around. So Google can say, look, we're not totally dominating everything. So, so JavaScript is complicated because it's designed to run uh, in a browser environment and anything done to it to get it to run nicely outside of the browser is a giant hack. And so I agree with Ed in so many ways that there are so many things that third parties do that extend the capability of JavaScript that stuff needs to be, that stuff should have been bundled into JavaScript engines a decade ago, a year ago. And um, people cannot like the idea of like a centralized authority for something like a programming language. Like Python has Guido, I, though I don't think he's the benevolent develop, uh, dictator. No, I think he... There's a, there's a core team now yeah. that actually so, does the development. So there's a core team that decides stuff, and then people will never be happy. And uh, PHP but, but has... other people and PHP has a, stuff. Right, and PHP right. Has, has a core team, and that it grows in size and contracts. But there is a... But there is a, a central group of people that are deciding what direction the language goes in. And you can do the old Lee Iacocca. You can lead, follow, or get out of the way. Uh, if you're going to use on those languages. So, uh, but we're just like in this weird spot after eight and a half years, it's like shit's still way more complicated than it needs to be. The developer experience has not gotten any better. In, in fact, it's gotten worse because there are more things you need to know. And those things, and a lot of those tools should have been more commodified or pushed into the languages I could not imagine like PHP without all the like, like what saved PHP was Composer. So this is why I always buy Jordy or yep. Nils a drink when I see them because because uh, Composer literally saved it. If oh, we yeah. still had to, if we still had to use Pair, PHP would be an irrelevant language. It would be like it'd be like COBOL, and you would need people once every ten years to come in and update a bunch of shit so that stuff doesn't melt down. Right. Um, we need we need WordPress developers, please. Yes. Please, we're desperate for WordPress developers. Yeah. So, uh, but I just, after all this time and all this effort, and I saw how animated and mad Ed got over this when we were talking about it just now, but it, but it, that really, I, that really shows that only thing that's changed is the calendar. Um, and it's, it's, it's 2020, which sounded like such a futuristic date, even when we started this podcast, but here we are in 2020 and the developer's job, rather than being easier, because it because people because there are not enough people who work, who pour effort into making difficult things simple to use. That is the sweet spot of so many useful tools. 
and not enough people uh not enough people are are either capable of doing that or want to do it it may be i think the people justify it that it's too complicated so they don't do it but Every, I would like to think, Ed, that every single tool that I've adopted in the past eight and a half years has been because it has taken something that is complicated and made it simple. And I don't want to use complicated tools. I want to use simple tools. I stick with the server side and mm-hmm. I stick and I stick with high-level concepts now so that when the time comes, I can look at stuff and go, okay, you've built this awesome, complicated thing. Great. And now we have to test it. So please tell me how we're going to test this. And that's usually, I have found my experience has been all the cracks, all the technical debt, all the, uh, all the Jenga blocks that are just about pulled out of the stack. They all become very obvious when you start looking at something and saying, how, I'm, how can I test this in a repeatable way? It's ironic that the thing of me not wanting to see bugs make it up into production all the time has been, has given me the greatest gift of all to look at something and say, well, these things need to change and it transcends languages and it transcends development approaches. It's just like, you need to tell me, how are we going to, how are we going to not test is not even the right thing. How are we going to prove in a repeatable fashion that this thing works? And after all this time, I am still flummoxed at how easily people cannot answer that question with all these things that they've built. It's terrible. It's a shame. We've uh, internalized a bunch of practices about broken shit is okay, complicated shit is okay. The users can be the people that test our applications. It's a shame because uh, I sound like a bunch of old people uh, shaking old man shouts at clouds. Um, it could have been so different and the world shrugged and, and then people quickly learned that there's still a non-trivial amount of people, I guess, who view the complexity as a way to um, hold on to their job, hold on to their paycheck, um, hold on to their relevancy within a community. Um, I'm just like, man, I just, I just want shit to work and I want to be able to prove that stuff works properly. And anything that's a barrier to that um, is going to attract my grumpy attention and get some scorn. It's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough being old and caring and then deciding that caring doesn't matter anymore. Ed's at the caring doesn't matter stage. I'm still holding out that um, I can change people's minds. But I think for the stuff that I've done, I can just view it as a victory that we actually, we've gone past, do there need to be tests to when do I write the tests? And I think just making that, having put tons of energy to nudge a whole industry a millimeter or two in that direction. Um, I can look at back at all that stuff that I've done and be happy and just go, all right, I can keep doing this stuff. But I think, I think the bulk of my work is done in terms of like changing people's minds and people have, uh, there are lots and lots of people who now finally understand instead of just saying, am I going to write tests now? Am I going to write them before I write the code? Or am I going to write some tests afterwards? And that is a nice position to I can look at that and go and be happy that all the work I did paid off. Just like OSMI for you, it's still going without your help. Uh, you're just there once in a while to nudge it in a direction. I no longer have to be that guy shouting at everybody about testing. I can just nudge it in the proper direction 
um, once in a while. And then I still, I still am happy when I get an email that somebody bought one of my books. So that part is good. Yep. That is good. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I think the problem is increasing complexity and, and adding technology on top of technology and anyone who does work like what we do should find that disturbing because complex systems inherently fail more often. You, they break more, you make more mistakes, you screw things up, and things go wrong far more often as in complexity increases. So if you are intentionally introducing complexity, thinking that you are going to uh, gain something via that complexity, you're probably wrong. If you can build the same system and have it be less complex, you're going to have it be less error prone in terms of the work done on it, and it will fail less. And isn't though aren't those two things that directly impact user experience. So we should be seeking to reduce the kinds of how many choices we have to make. And we should be seeking to reduce the complexity of our tool chains, of our systems, of things like that. There are some things that are inherently going to be complex, but for the most part, most of the stuff we do doesn't need to be that way. And intentionally introducing that complexity is, I think, it, to use a word that people seem to love, an anti-pattern. And that is, as far as I can tell, the entire JavaScript toolchain current state of the community is to continually increase complexity. And I think it's just a, I think it's just an obvious mistake. So there, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We're all done. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. This is it. We're done. Ed, right. Ed, it's been a hundred times, hundred well, more than a hundred times. But a hundred times we've gotten together and chatted on Skype and yep. sometimes with video and sometimes without video. Yep. So this has been the final episode of the Development Hell podcast. I want to thank everyone over the years who has listened, commented, who joined us the number of times that we're able to do these live at conferences. That was always lots of fun. Who supported us via Patreon, who gave us money, who... Uh, who promoted the podcast on social media, who gave us feedback, who approached us at events and told us that they liked what we did and just chatted, chatted with us. And to all the guests that we had on the podcast, we, Ed and I both appreciate having you on over the years. We've had a few repeat guests. We always had tried to have people on that we thought would be interesting and people that we wanted to get other perspectives. But this is it. It's all done. Development hell is, well, dead is not the right term, but it's completed. We've done this. 100 episodes, lots of podcasts make it one or two times, four times. 100 episodes is a very great accomplishment. Ed, I've enjoyed talking to you all this time. We will continue to talk. Who knows? We may even get together once in a while and just do one-off things. Dev Hell Redux, just random. We won't tell you. It's just going to show up. Ed and I will talk about something because we have new interests. And Ed, Ed discovered recently that he and I had some overlap on the music stuff that he probably didn't know about. I used, to do, I used to do stuff many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. It's been a very long time. I was smart enough to hook up with somebody who was very musically talented so I could ride their coattails while we did stuff. Um, 
But Dev Hell is done. And um, I just don't know how to end it. I guess fade to black and put the cool music in. Uh, one last thing. We talk, Ed and I talked about this um, before we started recording. All the episodes are not going away. We're just simply going to move them someplace else. Um, the website will still be there. The links to download them will still be there. We'll probably find a new player. But uh, we need to stop paying somebody $150 a year to host a nice little player when we can probably get it done for a lot cheaper. But, um, Ed, this is it. 100 times. I don't know any other way to end it. Your rant was epic. After eight and a half years, shit is still too complex. We just want things simple so we can be more productive. Uh, one day, I think, we'll look back at this and realize shit is still too complicated. Another eight and a half years from now, if you and I, my God, we'll both be, we'll be almost 60 years old, you and I, in another eight and a half years. Uh, who knows if we'll still be doing stuff with tech? I sure hope so, because I have the rock and roll lifestyle around here to support. So I imagine I will keep working until I stroke out on my ergonomic um, keyboard. But uh, thanks to everybody. And I guess, um, see you online. Good night.